And we're here. Hello, everybody. Um, this is kind of exciting, right, Matt? Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm super hyped. This is a philosophy podcast. Still have no idea what it's called, but... Um, we got to work on a name, apparently. <laughs> um, Maybe... Uh, theories of knowledge and reality. That sounds fun. Or but, something uh, more funny, you know? We could uh, come up with something silly. <laughs> um, <clears throat> but anyway, yeah, this is our first podcast here at Lemister High School. Um, we have some very interesting uh, topics to talk about. And, Matt, what, do we, uh, what does next year look like with the podcast? Oh, uh, I <clears> mean, <throat> that's, I don't really know anything about that yet, but uh, we'll, we'll see. I think we're going to try yeah. and make this a more regular thing. Get some guests. Get some guests on, yeah. We got um, a few people planned, some, maybe some science people, and make them completely, completely destroy their reality and make them question why they exist in every single way. Exactly. Mess with them. Most people show up to the podcast happy and leave um, in existential depression. <laughs> but um, <clears throat> anyway, that happens. So, um, what are some of the things we're going to talk about in future podcasts? Um, reality is going to be focused a lot. Uh, what are the properties of things? What powers mm. things have? Um, so some metaphysics, no doubt about basically, it. Basically, I think the thing that all of this philosophy stuff is going to cover is the questions you would never ask yourself normally. I think there's like a lot of things people just like think about like when they're just reflecting on things from their day, right. the, those deep thoughts that are so random and spaced out, like why is the sky blue? Yeah, that's you can answer that scientifically, but can you? You know, and, and th those are the things we'll dive into, I think. You know, we'll talk about... Uh, uh, truth making, yes, which is uh, some metaphysics. We uh, we also have a third member who, um, you know, who's a senior. Yep, so he's not who's still sleeping. <laughs> yeah, um, <clears throat> but we'll see him. Uh, we'll see him next year. But uh, so yeah, so some of the things we covered this year, um, we'll we, you know, we start with the Greeks a little yep. bit with some Plato. So Mr. Friel is my philosophy teacher at um, Leminster High School. Uh, he, we've been taking this class. Um, it's like a guided study. That's what we call it. And, uh, you know, basically we sit down and we just talk. It's my only period where I don't have to do written work. So I, very, uh, probably my favorite class. Yeah. Um, very cathartic as yes. it were, uh, probably better than psychoanalytic therapy I mean, in many ways. A lot of this like philosophical, like studying has made me completely question things that I would find is so like. So things you just don't ask yourself normally, and it can it can be like intense, and it can be scary, and I hope we can have that have that influence on you, and not in a bad way, but like in a way that is fun and exciting. And it can be scary. Yeah, actually, um, some of these, uh, for example, you've been uh, delving into some Schopenhauer recently. Yes, yes. Um, <laughs> yep. Studies in pessimism. No essays in pessimism. Uh, yes, Schopenhauer. I have a lot um, of uh, quotes. But, um, yeah, so how did you want to start things a little bit here, uh, Matt? Um, okay, well, first, let me ask you a question, Mr. Yeah, Friel. Sure. Do you think an external world exists apart from our perceptions? Do you think that our perceptions is the basis of everything, or do you think that there are things that if we were to stop sensing completely, they would still exist? Well, 
it's certainly a conundrum, isn't it? Um, can we ever get beyond our perceptions or mental activity? All right, mental activity to know what exists beyond our perceptions or mental activity. Yeah, because I mean, all we can do is really <coughs> just see and hear and smell. You know, if someone tells you a skunk smells like pizza, or if someone, if you smell a skunk and they tell you that's pizza, from then on you're going to believe a skunk smells like pizza. That's just, it's not something you'll know what a pizza actually smells like. That's just your permanent, you know, interpretation of that sense. And that's kind of how everything goes. I mean, we talk about colorblind people and the way that, the way that they view things. We're never sure if we all see things the same way. We refer to blue as the same thing, but blue could be green to some people. And, you know, it's not necessarily even colorblind. Who knows? Maybe Mr. Friel has scales, but I just don't see it that way. Or maybe blue, gr blue grass exists. Yep. Um, that's, that's something that we'll be <laughs> talking about a little bit is the, this idea of modality. Yes. Um, with the work of uh, the great 20th, metaphysician, 20th century metaphysician David Lewis. Um, that, you know, in some possible world, bluegrass does exist, uh, just not in ours. Yes. Because um, that kind of grounds this idea of contingency, right, Matt? Um, yep. This idea that if something's possible. Well, contingency is an interesting topic because, you know, when you think of things like contingency, you wonder, what do we know for certain? And you start to ponder that question a lot, and you start to realize not very much. I mean, if you really think about it, you, something as simple as I'm certain this this chair I'm sitting in exists just because you sense it if you weren't able if you if you couldn't if you were say you were a gas right you just could see hear, and like smell then you wouldn't feel the chair and you wouldn't or maybe you couldn't see mm. I don't know if you couldn't sense the chair then there's no way of knowing for sure it exists so that's why even though you can sense it there's no possible way of Knowing for certain that something as simple as that exists. I mean, you know? what, are, what are some of the problems for, say, scientific reasoning if we can't get beyond this assumption that an external world actually exists apart from our perceptions? Um, in other words, how can we do science in a world that we're not really sure exists to do science in? I mean, that's the thing is, like, I think science skips a lot of the steps because they, they make a lot of assumptions, you know. So something like gravity, that's, like, something we take as a law of nature. Law of nature, yes. Like, when I pick up my phone and I were to hold it over, over like, something, you know, preparing to drop it, right? If I let go of that phone, there is a chance. You could perceive a possible world or a possible scenario where if I were to let go of my phone, it wouldn't fall. Right. And that, that possibility grounds the idea that there is no, it is not certain that gravity exists. It is simply mm -hmm. a contingency. In fact, I would even go as far as to say that it's, it's just a theory. I mean, it, we, 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 we attach so many names to certain things that we have no answer for. And I think the reason we do that is to avoid the absolute chaos of knowing very little about the world, very, knowing, yeah. having no law. So when you have no law, you make but up Laws of nature. I mean, I'm not sure... I mean, laws of nature are a very diffi difficult philosophical concept. Um, yes. I'm not sure science really thinks about it too much. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you, if you look in the science books, you might see laws of nature define something like regularities perceived or consistencies in experience. But they're generally generalizations. They're, they're, they're formulations. Yeah. Um, and again, they're contingent because... The laws of nature, for example, gravity, it didn't have to be that way. First, let's explain what contingency is in case you're not mm. sure. Contingency basically can mean, like, it's, it's like one or the other way. It, that, mm. that might be a bad way of describing it, but it's basically like 
like it, it's contingent that um if I were to trip, it's contingent of whether I'd fall or not. Like, meaning it's possible I could fall. It's possible I could not fall. Exactly. And we, we don't know possible for sure. Possible P, possibly but not P. that's the thing. is like everything is as far as we know. And that's the key part, as far as we know. Because that's, that's the whole thing that, that grounds our whole philosophical argument of all of this stuff is – is, the, is what we know for absolute certainty. I, I like this example. I like to use this example. I said this to my parents, um, and it kind of made them think I was absolutely insane. Of uh, If you had a robot that looked exactly like me, felt exactly like me, spoke exactly like me, had all of my traits, somehow was programmed to be exactly like me, how in the world would, what, what would be the difference between us? What, what is that difference? Do I, does something exist for me that makes me who I am as a person? Or if they share all of my traits that make another person sense me, then what, what is that? Because that you think you'd say, well, that difference is the soul. But how could you perceive that soul? Is it possible that robot is sitting here with me now doing the podcast and you're at home sleeping? Exactly. <laughs> and he would have no way. You'd right. have, have no, no way of knowing, knowing right? It's, it's um, absurd. Exactly. It's, it's very interesting um, to think about. So you have that, that yeah, and contingency. I mean, a lot of metaphysicians, you know, like David Lewis, uh, for example, even going back to Leibniz, um, who started talking about possibility, contingency, necessity, impossibility, etc. Um, <clears throat> how do we how do we know something's contingent? How do we know something's possible? Well, it has to exist somewhere concretely, maybe not in our actual world, but again, in some possible world, all right, accessible to our world. See. Uh, the issue I always have with that theory is that yeah that, you that you have uh, problems with some th- issues with it, modality it cr- well because I get what he see I have I I agree with the whole fact that there's scenarios where other things could exist hmm. the difficulty I have is that assu- assumption is always is always the crux of a philosophical issue and that's what I think the issue with that is is we have to assume that another world in fact exists which we have no proof for so. If another world does exist, then yes, it is possible that there. If, if other worlds do exist, it is possible that another world. There's another world where that scenario could play out. But yeah, and uh, you know we get these these counterfactual subjunctive arguments that David Lewis put together too. And, and how do we? And causation, again, up, up until uh, the metaphys the metaphysicians, the Greeks, going up through um, Spinoza and uh, Descartes. Um, Aristotle, these great yes. metaphysicians, they really hit a brick wall with David Hume, the great yes. uh, 18th century Scottish yeah, philosopher. Yeah, let's, let's dive into Hume. He's my favorite. You, um, yeah, and, you know, Hume, it's just taken as an axiom of life that causation exists, that something causes something else, and that there's some kind of necessary connection between these two things. Yeah, like take the analogy of like a pool ball, for example. If you're playing pool or billiards ball, whatever you call it, I like to call it billiards ball because I think it's fun and cool. But um, (laughs) say you're playing pool and, you know, you, you you hit the eight ball or something, right? You see when that ball hits that other ball that the eight ball starts to roll away, right? And we, in our minds, due to experiencing that so many times, we just, we start to build these assumptions and this, this certainty that one of those events causes the other one. Mm. But we have no way of proving that. Sure, it's a fair mm. assumption, right. but we need to treat it as such. I mean, it's possible that the ball, one ball strikes the other and the second one doesn't move at all. It is, yeah. I mean, it's perfectly conceivable. Anything you could perceive, if you could perceive that, it's, if it's conceivable, as Mr. Friel said, 
then it's possible. And isn't it just, and again, I mean, metaphysicians try, they, they, they have many sleepless nights trying to justify causation for science. Um, a lot of people claim that, you know, science and metaphysics don't get along. But again, metaphysicians are trying to, because again, science assumes causality. It's just, it, it, it really makes you, things like that really make you realize how kind of weightless or frivolous like the the world kind of like is in in that you don't really know anything beyond your simple perceptions i mean when you're sleeping for example you perceive nothing so nothing around you you can be proven to exist you don't know if your room act can you prove to me your room exists while you're sleeping in a sense exactly um everything becomes annihilated Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, and then it becomes reconstituted when you wake up in the morning. Well, it's like when you right. die. I mean, <laughs> as far as we know, if we so let's uh, let's for the for the sake of this argument, let's yep. say like <clears throat> when you die, that you you know it's like sleeping, even though we have no way of knowing what it's like. So I'm not even going to try. I'm just saying, say for the sake of this argument, it's like sleeping. If you are sleeping or you die, everything ceases to exist forever. Therefore, everything else dies. You're, I mean, it's sad to think about, but. That's that's how how you know. So we, we go through that every day. We live our life based off of so many other people's opinions of us, or so many p- other people's. What? Oh, I hope that this person doesn't like doesn't dislike what I'm doing here, doesn't like what I'm saying with this, or like I hope I can impress this dude, at this dude or this girl. I don't know. Like, but at the same time, it's like you have no way of knowing they exist. I have no way of knowing Mr. Freel exists. Same thing as that robot analogy I used prior. I mean, even if he's not a robot, I don't, I'm not touching him right now. I just see him. That could just be something I'm hallucinating. You never know. Well, one great thing about modality is the fact that, Matt, you, you, the most beautiful woman in the, in the known world is your girlfriend. Yeah. I mean, that, you know, you can take consolation in that. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's <laughs> a, yeah, absolutely. Uh, uh, you know, because, I mean, it's, it's contingent that you don't have the most beautiful uh, girlfriend in the world. Um, and it's very possible and conceivable that you could. Well, your and opinion, again, how do we ground that truth? Your, your opinion, again, so if your perceptions is all that matters, so does your opinion. Your per- opinion is the only opinion. So if you feel that your girlfriend is the most beautiful person in the world, there's no dis- there's no debate it that can argue subjective. that. It becomes subjective, exactly. And again, that gets into some aesthetics. That gets into and again, these are some of the things we can tackle well, like in the next forms. podcast. Yeah. Um, aesthetics and morality, you know. Um, but uh, so, what are some other things we, we're going to talk about? So we talk about causality, possible worlds. Um, I'm actually interested in diving into that conversation a little bit uh, about about. Uh, like ideal forms, you know, is mm. there, is there, uh, 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 is there an ideal look? Is there, is there a beautiful woman that, or man or anything that you could look at and everyone would unanimously agree is beautiful, that, that representation of beautiful. The, the ideal male, the ideal like, female. Uh, what was that? I forget who made the piece. You know, that, um, that, uh, image from, um, uh, it was from uh, the 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 Vitruvian uh, man. Yes. Ah, yes. See, uh, this is this uh, is how he is. He's the, just yeah, right. <laughs> da Vinci. Right. Yeah. Yes. Um, da Vinci. You know, he's a child of the Renaissance, where man yes. becomes the center of the universe once again. Um, right, and, and that's very Platonic, isn't it? Yes. Uh, the ideas of Plato in the universal forms, and believe it or not, even in contemporary metaphysics, Plato's ideas still haunt us. So do you feel that there is an ideal beauty or do you feel that there is an ideal form of anything? Like there's an ideal, the phone I'm holding right now, there's an ideal version of that. I don't know. 
Um, I don't think there's any real consensus among metaphysicians either. Uh, now, there is some consensus building amongst metaphysics. However, around this idea, because now we're talking about the problem of universals, uh, how do we access, access these, um, these transcendent platonic forms? Um, so in other words, every tree contains the perfect form of a tree. Um, again, that's hard to epistemologically justify well what it, what is the perfect version of a tree is it, like how can everyone have the same opinion or the same view of those traits or maybe there is a perfect view of a Do tree that we just haven't seen yet that's why you can't build it in your head maybe that maybe way in the future we will reach the pinnacle iphone right. the iphone that nothing there is not a single issue nobody can find a single a single problem with Maybe that is the ideal for. Do all iPhones share something in common, or are they are they all just particular, with no connection whatsoever? See, th these are great philosophical questions that a lot of people go through their life yeah. never really thinking about. Now, is it important? Um, is it an important question? I don't know. So again, th this idea that um, do do particular objects, or at least things that we view as particular, do they have some universal qualities? Did they all belong to one substance? You know, this, this, uh, this Spinozian idea so, of uh, monism, that um, we're, just, we're, just, uh, we're just outcroppings or, or uh, um, these, these little bumps that come out of the one great substance, which yeah. Spinoza called nature or God. I, I, to, to simplify that, does fire, is fire necessarily hot? Is it, is it a necessary thing that fire has to be hot? Or is fire just a, an object and that's a separate power, separate, a separate thing that's enforced upon us? That's something that we don't really know for sure. Yeah, in, in, with fire, great example. Is, is something like fire different fundamentally than, say, the microphone that we're talking in here? In other words, does one contain some power or disposition or um, in the other does not? Um, <clears throat> so these are some of the questions that we talk about as well, powers and dispositions. Metaphysicians, metaphysicians try to justify causation by saying causation doesn't exist externally to an object. Causation exists within the object itself. The object itself has a power or disposition. Um, for example, this microphone. Um, by itself, Aristotle calls it just an act. Mm -hmm. um, however, does it have potency? Does it have the possibility to be something else? So we have different, very different uh, positions on this, and I'm curious what I want to. I want to hear what you think, and um, uh, you know, and then I'll I'll tell you what I think. Yeah. So uh, again, th these ideas, and I don't know. D David Hume argues that particulars are just particulars. They have no powers. They have no dispositions. Uh, they exist just as this qualitative mosaic that goes on, we seem in this particular time and place, which is a very small moment in time, to notice regularities. However, because these particulars have no connection to one another, and we're going all the way down to the subatomic level, is it possible that everything just becomes unraveled? Well, is, is it possible that everything is just a sequence of events? We talked before about causation. It goes what, the binds same those what binds the sequence of events, though? And is this something is science can teach something? us? Yeah, is there something that binds those? So, like, again, with the pool ball example, yep. is there something that 
that necessarily like causes that ball to move. Right. That or guarantees or the movement just, of the second ball. Or right. are we just watching that? It's just is that just something that would have inevitably happened whether we were standing there or not? Or you know who, who knows? Um, and again, uh, the, the 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 billiard ball example is fantastic. Uh, again, a metaphysician is going to argue that the two balls actually have powers and dispositions to act upon one another. David Hume would say, no, absolutely not. They're just two particulars with no connection to one another. And that's not saying that... Anything can happen. That's not saying factual, though. That's just... A, that's just it's what The point of that is that it's possible that they're just two particulars because obviously yep. the fair assumption would be that it's most likely that when that ball hits the other ball, most likely that was causing the other one because that's just like... It, that's just like how things go usually. And again, it, it's, it's awesome. a great philosophical question. Two billiard balls look very much alike, don't they? However, are they just two distinct particular things or do they share something in common? Now, David Hume would say, if they do share something in common, we can't empirically justify it. We can't see the connection. Therefore, as he would say, the idea is meaningless and we must you know, commit it to the flames. So the way I differ in, in that opinion is that some, I feel that my assumptions may be strong enough sometimes to justify that, the, my opinion, which is that, so some, I, I'm changing, I'll change the example from b balls to fire, is I, I feel that fire is, has no way of not being hot. There is no way that fire can't be hot. And I'm not saying that that's, when I say no way, I guess that's probably the wrong word because I, 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 I'm not, it's not certain but certain things in, in, you know, in our existence. Does the heat exist in the fire itself, or is it just the perception of the mind, yeah. the mental activity? And I, I feel comfortable drawing an, an opinion based off of that. But you have to be able, if you want to draw opinions, that this is something we miss a lot in modern society, is we have to be able to, when we draw opinions, we have to be able to say, well, this is an opinion. This is what we know for sure. And if we could deal with the world that logically, where we could deal with what we know for sure and what's what's certain and what's not, and then we, we, we draw conclusions based off of that, or not conclusions, more assumptions, the world would be a much more logical, rational place, and we would deal with our problems a lot more rationally and logically. Well, I think we're, we're, we've come to the end of our po of our first podcast. This I think fun. it was a big success, a lot of fun. Yeah. It could go longer. However, we have uh, things we have to do today, so I'm hoping... I've got um, a final next period. <laughs> he's got a final next period. But thank you, Matt, for joining us, and I'm hoping this is going to be something we'll be able to do quite often uh, yes. into, next, into next school year. Yes, thank you. Okay, well, um, until next time. Um, we'll see you later. Bye-bye. <laughs>